I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Tai Fu. And with the opening day of free agency having come and gone, I think it's safe to say that last year was kind of a one-off in terms of it being a, a dud in free agency. Because I've mentioned a couple of times on the pod, I was worried that general managers were coming to their senses and were more or less refraining from spending way too much in free agency. But I'm glad to say, for the most part, they're back trading terrible deals and not not only that uh trading away assets along with bad deals that they signed in order to clear cap space to sign more bad deals business as usual in the nhl before we talk about all those special and fun transactions i think we should talk about the story that broke only a couple hours ago about evander kane because his wife posted on her Instagram story, some uh, pretty scathing things. The first among them uh, were that Evander Kane is being a terrible husband. And basically he's off gallivanting around Europe, neglecting her. uh, And by the way, she's pregnant right now. And they have another kid who I think is two years old. And basically Evander Kane is doing things like suggesting she sell her wedding ring so that she can afford baby formula. Uh, but then she went on to discuss, uh, not so even, I would heavily imply, is putting it lightly, to basically declare that Evander Kane has been betting on Sharks games, uh, which is, of course, uh, not only frowned upon by the National Hockey League, but illegal. So this is, ha- has there ever been? I think like the 1960s, 50s, like that vaguely rings a bell, like there was a betting scandal in the NHL, but I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. And man, it goes to show uh, how poorly Evander Kane must be treating his own wife, that it wasn't like, you know, some, some, I don't know, whistleblower who found this out. It was literally probably the person who knows the most about him in the entire world. Yeah. So this is a... Uh a rapidly unfolding, very ugly situation there. Um, and yeah, it looks like, I mean, this is not the first time we've seen this kind of, this kind of negative headline surrounding Evander Kane. I remember uh, just a while back, it was, uh, it was revealed. I think it was because of his gambling that uh, he had, he was, uh, he was broke, you know, he had declared bankruptcy. And so, you know, very unfortunate to see that this guy's having some troubles, especially surrounding the money. Um, but uh, yeah, that is one heck of an accusation um, to say that, He's uh, basically, what is it? What's it called again? Well, he's throwing games. That's what she alleged, right? Um, I think she specifically called him out for throwing games. Um, I mean, I, I like, I don't, I don't think, uh, like, he didn't play awful this last season. He was at forty nine points for the Sharks. Um, so that's, I mean, it remains to be seen if that's actually true. Um, but that's one heck of an, an accusation. It looks like the league is uh, already opened up an investigation. A surprisingly quick response, but I guess that's anticipated on this kind of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, ugly, ugly situation. And, uh, yeah, we'll see if they find any evidence that, uh, it was actually like playing poorly on purpose. Yeah. I wonder if I don't imagine just looking at the fact that Evander Kane had 49 points in 56 games, that this was the type of thing that happened like all season long, maybe one or twice. And obviously that doesn't make it any, you know, less illegal, but I saw someone say something pretty funny, which said if, if Evander Kane was like almost a pointer game, a point per game throwing games and maybe he should have gotten the heart trophy instead of McDavid. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I don't want to, you know, try to unfold this story too much because it's only a couple hours old and I'm sure, you know, as hockey news dies down over the off season, it's probably going to be like 
one of the big ticket stories for uh, pretty much the next month or so, probably. So I think since this was probably going to be a pretty long episode anyway, uh, we can immediately dive into all of the hockey transactions of the week, starting with reigning Vesna Trophy winner, best goalie in the league, getting traded for nothing. Uh, Michael Hakarainen was the official return, but he's going to be staying with the Chicago affiliate Rockford Icehogs. Uh, so Vegas, not only did they trade away their face of the franchise, but they didn't even discuss it with him or tell him about it before it happened. And the Chicago Twitter account was, you know, making fun, cute little tweets about it before Marc-Andre Fleury even knew. And I mean, besides the fact that the trade looks pretty brutal on the surface, uh, especially considering they they totally replaced Fleury's cap hit and then some with Evgeny Dadanov and Laurent Brassois a couple days later. Uh, the fact that they wouldn't even you know discuss uh, like they did like they did with Ryan Reeves before they traded him to New York. They were like, oh yeah, we talked to him about what's best for his future and stuff, and they just totally slipped their mind to do the same thing for Marc Andre Fleury. Has there ever been? I don't know if I've ever seen a more lose lose trade. Than this one, I think I truly think that both sides take a big L. Um, and let's start with Vegas. I mean, this is this has been the face of your franchise since literally day one. Um, you know, expansion draft. He was he was the big guy, the big goalie in town. He's played you know good to great. Obviously, last year he won the Vesna. Um, so and then to treat him like this on the way out. I mean, this is I don't think this is the first time Vegas has uh, treated someone particular like a a member of their organization particularly poorly. Who was the other guy that they, they unceremoniously booted from town last time around that, the, that his name was floating around? Do you remember? Um, I don't think you're talking about Nate Schmidt. I do not remember. It might have been I, Schmidt. Oh, um, maybe you're thinking of Gerard Galland. That wasn't like the Florida curb situation, but it was no, kind no, of I'm abrupt. Not that, it, was a, it was a different player. I think it might have been Schmidt. Um, but uh, like they, it seems that they have, like it's now become a pattern of Vegas uh, you know, kicking their guys to the curb without giving them much notice. Um, without much input and they're really like you know it's obviously a business but they're really sticking the business uh, and they're kind of making this whole thing impersonal it seems especially you know you don't tell Fleur in advance I mean come on uh, come on and so you, you you end up trading the Vezina Trophy winner for absolutely nothing you piss them off it's not a good look for your franchise it's not a good look for any prospective players looking to join your team especially considering I mean this is right before this is right before uh, free agent signing day. And then, you know, players see that you just kick this guy to the curb, uh, despite him playing four years uh, very well for you as the face of your franchise. So that's an L. Um, and then you talk about for Chicago. Well, the main goal of this for Vegas is clear, right? Was to, was to clear that cap space. Um, and for Chicago, they give Vegas that free pass. On top of that, it seems that, you know, because Fleury is unhappy, I mean, what was the, his agent, Alan Walsh, was saying that, you know, he's... He's discussing his future, so we don't even know if if uh, if he's even gonna play. Um, and if that's the case, I mean, Chicago, they just they give Vegas that cap space for free. And in that, like from in, in that perspective, given all the the cap dumps, cap dump deals we've seen, especially with Arizona around, um, I mean, to give them seven million dollars in cap space seems like you're getting cheated a bit. And so from that angle. I don't like what Chicago's doing. And with Vegas, and then you mentioned, yeah, exactly. What they what, what exactly did they do with their cap space? Did they go inside a big ticket stud? Like, I don't know, trade for Jack Eichel, go for Dougie Hamilton? No. They get an absolute loser in Evgeny Dadunov going off a bad season in freaking Ottawa. Uh, they signed a backup goalie who's significantly worse than Marc-Andre Fleury and Laurent Bossois. Uh, they re-signed Matthias Janmark. And that's basically it. 
And so, truly, I, I, like, I, I cannot stress how badly I think both these teams fared, um, you know, with this trade and then uh, with Vegas in particular during the signings. Yeah, I don't really see that exactly the same way as you do, especially from Chicago's perspective. Because for to really look at the trade as a cap dump, I feel like the cap it has to be significantly higher than what the player is worth. Fleury definitely played worth $7 million this past season. And even if he, uh, you know, revert regresses a little bit this upcoming season uh, to a little bit below that, it is only one more year. This isn't an albatross contract that goes on and on forever. So I don't think Fleury... I see, I think, like, this Fleury is worth that $7 million. It boggles my mind that that no one was willing to offer Vegas anything, or maybe they just, you know, didn't do their due diligence, which is probably likely as well. But the well, goalie market is just, it's, it's so out of whack. And I mean, you know, a lot of markets in the NHL are so out of whack, but like we saw Nadeljkovic get basically nothing flurry, get basically nothing. And then guys like Grubauer and Elmark signing, uh, signing pretty big deals. So I don't really see this as a, as a big risk for Chicago because either they have a goalie who is a decent bet to play around his cap it for one season uh, or if he just ends up retiring, then they gave up literally nothing. So it's not really a loss for them. Yeah, but I think, you know, with that risk, uh, that, you know, because you're you're doing Vegas a favor. I mean, Vegas has wanted to get rid of this guy for a while now. Uh, and you add on to the fact that it seems like he really doesn't want to play for Chicago. I mean, why would you, like, if, if he does end up retiring, right? I mean, all you did, yeah, it's a net zero for Chicago. What we did for Vegas... I mean, you just did them a service. You cleared them $7 million a cap, which they wanted to clear. Um, and yeah, I feel but, like that is deserving of an asset. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think so. Because, well, first of all, so even if Vegas is thinking, oh, yeah, we really want to get rid of this guy or something, which I the, the fact that I think Chicago is getting Flurry at good value also means that I think Vegas gave up Flurry at good value. Like, they gave up a good asset and got nothing back. So, even if they, Vegas was thinking, like, oh, yeah, Flurry is like a negative value asset, I I believe wholeheartedly that they were incorrect in their evaluation. All right. We'll see. I mean, we'll see because uh, he said what? He's discussing his future. If he does end up retiring, I, his cap kit does disappear, right? Uh, so, Chicago doesn't really have to carry that. Um, but if that's the case, I mean, Chicago, well, I don't even know what the hell Chicago is doing. Now let's shift the focus to Chicago. Like they, they get a bunch of these players, right? They trade for for Tyler Johnson. Who the hell? They they obviously signed. Uh, they traded for trade and signed uh, Seth Jones last week. Let me let me let me pull up their page. Um, see whatever what else they did. Um, they Jake signed McCabe. Jake McCabe for four years, four million dollars. They got Zadorov for a third. Um, and or or wait, no, was that that was way long ago? What am I saying? Um, but they got Jake McCabe, and it's like you know people are saying. I saw some people, like some some Chicago beat writer, I think it was, was like, they're Stanley Cup contenders. First of all, no, they're not. Um, but it's yeah. it's strange. Like, what are they doing here? Are they trying to contend? Because this team is not a contender. And especially, like, you make all these moves, you're trying to accelerate the rebuild, but then you trade for Marc-Andre Fleury, and, you know, he's either... You either have Marc-Andre Fleury for one year, which is fine. I mean, that's great. He's a, he's a, he's, he was a great goaltender last year. Or you don't have a goaltender at all, but you're relying on Kevin Lankinen again, and he really faded down the stretch. I don't have any sort of faith in Kevin Lankinen uphold, and then you have nobody behind him. So I, th- I still think, like, in terms of uh, global vision, I mean, you, you can't really take this trade in a vacuum on top of that, right? Like, what the hell is Chicago doing? I'm still, I'm still, I'm still fucking confused. 
Yeah, Chicago thinks they're a Stanley Cup contender now. It's the vibe I'm getting. Uh, probably, probably after acquiring Seth Jones, they they see him as like you know a super high end Norris contending defenseman, as evidenced by the massive contract they gave to him, and that now all of a sudden with him with reigning Vesna winner, they see themselves. Oh yeah, we got you know Vesna winner, potential Norris winner, uh, and of course you know we still got Taves and Kane and uh, a nice you know influx of young forwards who are getting better and better to bring it. Uh, Kirby Doc and company, uh, Henrik Borgstrom. They're probably you know expecting can uh, to can become a key contributor. So like now's the time. Now's the time for us to go all in. We got Seth Jones, Mark Andre Fleury. Let's go out and get Tyler Johnson too while we're at it and go all in. Uh, and in reality, Chicago like uh, what are they gonna? Maybe they'll make a wild card. Uh, uh, make it into a wild card position. But like teams overestimating how good they are is uh, a is not such an uncommon theme in the National Hockey League. No, absolutely not. And I feel like they're 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 going all in to kind of cash in on you know the the ends of the career of Taves and Kane, and to try to like make a push for them, win another cup for the for the vets. Um, but we've seen time and time again. I mean, that never fucking works because the team around them is just simply not ready to contend. I mean, this team should still be rebuilding. That Seth Jones made no that Seth Jones trade made no sense given a Boquist and futures. And so it feels like, you know, Stan Bowman's kind of running them into the ground on top of running an absolutely morally bankrupt franchise. It seems like on the ice, they're destined for mediocrity for the next five years. And now they're tied to Seth Jones and his potentially awful contract, his very risky contract, and a bunch of uh, middling players. I mean, I, I just, like Tyler Johnson, really? Ah, oh, man, I, I just, I, I know it was kind of a captain, but they got a second round pick, right? Um, but still. It steals, It gives the completely bad vibes coming out of Chicago. Not even just on the off-ice things, but even on the on-ice, it really seems like a team that is, uh, yeah, as I just said, destined for mediocrity. Yeah, Chicago got Tyler Johnson and his 2023 second-round pick from uh, Tampa Bay for Brent Seabrook, who uh, you may remember is retired. Uh, so I think Tampa is probably going, yeah, we'll uh, we'll do it again. What we did with you know LTIR, Marion Gabrick, Anders Nielsen, we'll just uh, do, try that again with Brent Seabrook. And they have no reason not to. They've won two Stanley Cups in a row. Uh, Tampa Bay, obviously, you know, they've cleared up cap space after trading Tyler Johnson and uh, losing Yanni Gordon expansion, um, which gets them to, like, it doesn't give them much room. It basically gets them to, like, barely under the cap. Or wait, have they even? No, I think they're actually still, like, over the cap by, like, $5 million now, according to Cap Friendly. So they still have some work to do. But they've, you know, filled in around the edges with uh, cheap veterans. Corey Perry and Pierre Belmar uh, both got two-year deals with Tampa Bay, giving them a million dollars each year. They're both 36 years old. Uh, so that's the type of thing where Tampa is lowering the cap hit by giving that extra year. Corey Perry even basically said, like, yeah, as soon as Tampa offered that second year, uh, it was pretty much hard. It was pretty hard for me to say no. And I assume probably a similar story there with Belmar, especially with Zach Bogosian. He definitely could have gotten a higher AAV than $850,000 a year. I'm sure a number of teams were happy to offer that to him. But the fact that Tampa gave him that for three years, that he had that stability offered, uh, is probably almost definitely what made him go, yeah, I'll go, I'll go back to Tampa Bay. And uh, he's going to continue to be a very solid number three defenseman. I mean, I mean, I mean Julian, Julian Breezebaugh continues to do some excellent work. I mean, he unloads that Tyler Johnson contract, which he was trying to do all year um, to create a bunch of cap space. Um, and, you know, he signs up. He signs a uh, Braden point to that eight year contract, nine and a half million dollars. Pretty reasonable for a guy of, uh, for a superstar like Braden point. And so, you know, you've got the core intact. Obviously you've lost the entire checking line, but, 
you know, that that was gonna happen. You know, you were you were way over the cap. You can't go 18 and a half every single year. Um, and 18 and a half over. And so, yeah, you, these are great deals in terms of you know giving these veterans extra years. And if they're completely washed by year, even year two, you can just stash them in the minors. No cap space. Easy. I mean, you pay the money, sure, because they're, like, they're on a one-way contract. You pay the NHL money. But I'm sure, you know, Jeff Vinnick is fine with that. Um, and I fully expect they've got the entire core left and locked up and ready to go for another season. Uh, this is just this is still very much a contender. Um, we'll see how much a, how big of a loss that checking line is. Um, but, I mean, all the superstars are there. And now they've got these veterans locked up to very reasonable contracts that if they go sour... No big deal at all. And that's really how you should be filling in periphery spots in your roster is low risk guys. I mean, they don't have to be, they can be young, they can be old, but the contract can't be, can't be, uh, you can't be paying one and a half, two million, three million dollars to these guys in your bottom six. And that's not what Tampa's doing. And that gears them up for success. I've been hearing a lot of people talk about Alex Barre Boulet and how he's poised to be like, you know, the next, uh, the next breakout guy on Tampa Bay coming up from, uh, through their minor league system. I think he's like an unsigned free agent out of uh out of junior yeah and he's been hovering around a point a game in the ahl for like three years i think and they just signed him to a three-year contract also that's barely over league minimum so this is probably gonna be the type of thing uh where you know he he'll almost definitely be on the team this upcoming season because there are you know plenty of open roles and he's probably gonna do great uh you know probably on that third line play center he can play wing and, and, you know, and like by the end of the season, we're like, oh, they have him for less than a million dollars the next two years. Oh, that's so unfair. But uh, Brisebois got out to it right away and, you know, gave him that stability, even though he's only played like 15 NHL games. And uh, this is a, a no-risk, high-reward contract. Yep, and it seems like I, I like I don't understand why other GMs don't do this. Um, I, I, I'm sure there are other, like a handful. I don't even know if there are a handful of GMs who, you know, on a regular basis like Tampa does, Fills their roster and with cheap guys. It seems like everybody's in Aberdeen with getting a, a, a vet for way too much money on your fourth line. Um, you know, mo- you know all the teams basically, and and that's the story of free agency for often. I mean, you talk about the first wave of guys, all right, the big ticket items. Then afterwards, it's just a bunch of middle six forwards or bottom six forwards um, or bottom bottom pair defensemen that are paid way too much money. And I mean, this is the trick to this is the inefficiency of free agency now, uh, or the efficiency to exploit. It's these periphery guys that you give some security to, and but you lower the cap. And it seems that Tampa's uh, an expert at this, and all the other none of the other teams have caught on. They keep spending like there's no tomorrow, especially this off season. And I mean, what do you expect? Tampa wins two cups in a row, and they seem ready to go for a third. Do you think some of these GMs are spending so recklessly because they know the apocalypse is coming? Um, I don't think they have that kind of foresight at all. Fifty-year-old uh, white men. You really think they know anything about climate change? Um, I, I strongly <laughs> doubt it. Maybe, <laughs> I'd be I'd be shocked. I really I think most of them are more uh, a bit more self-absorbed and perhaps spending because they know they won't have the job. Um, not necessarily yeah. because of the politics, but because uh, <laughs> they suck at their jobs. <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about this when we were talking about the draft. I don't know if you saw this. Oh wait, was it the? You see through the draft or the expansion draft, Gary Bettman was talking about the Kraken and their arena, remember, is called the Climate Pledge Arena. And <laughs> basically, and he, he misspoke and he said, oh, the Climate Change Arena in Seattle. And everyone was kind of, you know, dunking on him for it, rightfully so. Uh, yay, the Climate Change Arena. Anyway, uh, before you were talking about Chicago, 
you said that they traded Zadorov for a third round pick. And that brings me back to the fact that that third round pick could have so easily belonged to the Seattle Kraken if they just claimed Zadorov and traded him. Instead, they decided they didn't want him or anyone else on Chicago, uh, which we've been over this, but they they basically, I think Chris Johnston has even like confirmed this. They're like, yeah, they just decided they didn't want anyone from Chicago or Columbus, so they took pending UFAs that they didn't intend on signing. And now it's confirmed that they just blew a chance of getting a third-round pick, and Gavin Bayreuther, their pick from Columbus, just walked straight on back to Columbus, uh, which isn't of no material difference to Seattle, who we signed with, but the optics on that are pretty terrible, when instead they could have taken... Kevin Stenland, Max Domi, Dean Kuken, Scott Harrington, and flipped them to anyone who offered them a draft pick instead of getting absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's truly baffling to see this. I mean, it's to get nothing, literally nothing with Bayreuther, literally going back to the team he was on before um, and as a UFA. I mean, yeah, you talk about all these other names. They At least they have positive value maybe you don't want to take a gamble on max domi you don't think he has you know maybe teams don't want to risk it on that contract and still take someone smaller you know dean kukin definitely has value some team is willing up to pony up anything even if it's just a mid-round draft pick like i don't know like colorado did for uh who is it curtis mcdermott curtis mcdermott um yeah exactly i mean that's not nothing fourth round pick you package those you can get something better um and it's certainly better than literally losing them for nothing i just don't understand i mean seattle it keeps their big disappointment. Ron Francis, is, it feels like he keeps completely blowing it. Um, so, I mean, th- his this offseason, this weird offseason, that it doesn't really seem like they have any sort of plan whatsoever. They're just kind of winging it, um, continues. I still don't know what the strategy here is. Um, so let's let's go through what they did. I mean, first of all, they... Because so the big move that they made obviously is that they signed Philip Grubauer. That kind of came out of nowhere. Um, it, was, it was kind of expected that he'd go back to Colorado. But... Uh, you know, free agency struck. Looks like Seattle came in with a big offer. Six six years, $5.9 million. And all of a sudden, it's like, I, well, I thought you were going bargain bidding there in the goaltending position. That seems like a smart way to go. You had three guys who, or two guys who seemed very capable and a solid prospect in Joey Decord. I mean, Dreger Vanacek seemed like a fine way to go. But instead, they go out and spend, way, I think, too much money on Philip Grubau, who I don't, I'm not particularly high on. I think Colorado is just, happened to be an amazing team in front of him and he kind of fed off that success to a Vezina finalist uh just last year um 5.9 million dollars for six years i think is very risky for philip grubauer um and i don't i don't i can't i don't think you can count on him to steal very many games for seattle um and then on top of that well now you got an expendable piece of vanacek they send him right back to where he came from for a second round pick to washington and uh i mean i think there were a handful of other trades i mentioned they traded mcdermott um who was there there was someone else i think that they uh Another one of their picks, uh, if I recall, that they correct. traded. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, maybe not. I feel. I feel like there was two, and I also can't remember. Anyway, um, I'll, I'll look for that. But on Grubauer, I really like the five point nine number. I do not like the six years for someone with his uh, injury history. He's missed chunks of time of, over the last two seasons or so, uh, and not only that, he's twenty nine years old already. So this was kind of uh, you know. Feels like the type of thing, yeah, really Seattle, you know, kind of, you know, doing the the dumb thing of signing players for too long. Uh, you're officially an NHL team now. Um, but Colorado, I also really thought he was going to he was gonna stick there. And Colorado, I feel like they, they really butchered their goaltending situation because I think they also thought that they were going to get it done with Grubauer. And once they couldn't, 
There was nothing left on the market except Darcy Kemper, who they had to vastly overpay for. But we'll get to them. I'll stick with Seattle for a second. Uh, because I was going to mention, like, yeah, Vanage, I thought that wasn't allowed. Trading the player you just, I know, I'm pretty sure it was, like, written in the Vegas expansion draft. Like, uh, your selection from a team, you're not allowed to trade them back to that team within, like, at least a year. I guess that rule changed this time. Uh, I think what it was is if there's no reasonable you know, reason to think that there was collusion before the draft or something, then you can make the deal. And apparently Gary Bettman was like, yeah, yeah, this passes the smell test. They signed a new goalie, so they don't need this old one. Uh, and this wasn't something that was like in place beforehand. Uh, so I guess they kind of, uh, you know, sort of broke the rules, even though they didn't really. But yeah, that, that was really strange that they sent Vanacek right, right back to where he came from. Yeah, I leave it to the NHL to completely write some uh, very, very vague rules that uh, seems that nobody really, nobody's really paying attention to them, including the league. I mean, um, that that is a rule, and I believe it applied for this expansion draft as well. Because remember, they were discussing the price situation um, when he was exposed, and one kind of proposition that was floated in the air was, what if the what if the uh, Seattle takes price and then you know trades him back to the Habs, but with salary retained. Um, for, you know, like a boatload of assets. And, you know, the league immediately came out and said, no, no, that's not allowed at all. Um, yeah. And so, but apparently this is allowed because, and just goes to show, I mean, it seems that the league also believes that Seattle's like like a chicken with its head cut off, running around and not really knowing what it's doing and just throwing these players out willy-nilly. And uh, yeah, it's a complete mess. And, you know, I mean, you look at the other signings, what else do they do? They signed a couple forwards. And we were talking about, you know, this team, their defense was all right. A solid, a solid six, uh, a solid group of six. Their goaltending was solid. The real problem was their forwards. I mean, they really had nobody, um, aside from like Yanni Gord and Jordan Emberley, that were any good. Um, and who do they go out and sign? They signed Jaden Swartz to too long for too much money, I believe. I mean, he doesn't, I don't think he brings nearly as much offensively as they need um, for five and a half million dollars for five years. He signed Alex oh. Wenberg, who has a kind of a similar, you know, skill set as a center. For three years, four and a half, and it's like you look at this four court. What this, this this team sucks. This team this team still sucks. I don't think they got that much better. I mean, sure you get a, a small upgrade at, at goaltending for a vastly, you know, greater price with Grubauer. And aside from that, I still don't trust this team to generate any sort of offense against the other NHL teams. Yeah, this feels like a team without a really concrete plan that's kind of dooming themselves to mediocrity. Uh, because, you know, I look at their lineup, I'm like, yeah, maybe they could squeak into a playoff spot in a weak Pacific division. Uh, but you know, with these long contracts that they already have locked in, uh, and you know, maybe if they suck really bad, they'll trade some of their guys for draft picks, but they haven't loaded up on draft picks or prospects. Obviously, I think they only had like exactly seven picks in this past draft. Vegas, how many did the Golden Knights have in their first draft? Like 11, 10, 11 around that. Uh, so yeah, I see a team, but like maybe they'll be okay, but I don't really see any opportunity for, for growth over the next couple of years into something like a serious contender. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And you talk about those contracts, we're talking about a whole bunch of guys who are locked into at least like three years and none of them, I don't think are, are particular standouts. I don't see anybody on this team. Like I know it's an expansion team. And so you're not really drafting any superstars, but as you said, I don't really see the growth here. Like at all. I mean, we're talking about dudes like Alexiak, Larson. Gord, Schwartz, Everly, I mean, Wenberg, uh, Brandon Tanev, who's absolutely awful. I mean, these are a handful of guys, you know, some of them are good, but not guys that I'm giving like five plus million dollars to um, and kind of leaning them on, leaning on them to 
be a perennial playoff team, let alone like, you know, see any sort of growth. Um, so yeah, I'm absolutely on board. This team doesn't look like it's uh, headed for anything big just because there's, there's frankly just a straight up lack of talent within the forwards. Yeah. Over to Colorado, as I kind of mentioned before. Uh, yeah, I, I think they blew it. I think, you know, being a contending team, um, unlike the Seattle Kraken, it would have made a little bit more sense for them to commit to Grubauer and, you know, say like, all right, yeah, we'll offer you that 5.9. We'll offer you that six years, even though it might look ugly by the end, because we are absolutely in our contention window right now. Instead, uh, they let it slip away and they went out and greatly overpaid for Darcy Kemper, who's a good goalie, but he only has one year left on his contract. And they gave up Connor Timmins, who is uh, absolutely ready to bloom into a, a top four defense in, along with next year's first round pick. And the reason that price got to be so high wasn't just that Kemper was like the only good starting goalie on the trade market or free agency market that was left at that point, but also because they were in a bidding war with the Edmonton Oilers. Um, so if you want to beat out Ken Holland in overpaying for someone, you're going to have to overpay for someone because as we know, Ken Holland doesn't have the greatest track record with that type of thing. Um, but I think man, Joe Sakic has to be kicking himself for not, first of all, going after Alex Nadelchkovic because they could have obviously gotten him for way cheaper than they got Darcy Kemper. And that's decidedly a more valuable asset who's younger and under team control for longer. Uh, because you could sign him to, you know, you could have signed him at that point. He was an RFA. And also, even Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, because even though he cost twice as much as Darcy Kemper in terms of cap hit, uh, in, in the trade, he clearly would have cost much less. Because you could have even thrown a seventh-round pick to Vegas, and they would be like, yes, this is better than the package Chicago gave to us. And all of a sudden, you have the reigning Vezina winner coming in to replace Grubauer at what would have been, you know, about a million dollars more and only for one year than uh, what Grubauer would have gotten. Yeah, so the word that comes to mind when I look at this whole goaltending situation with Colorado is flat-footed. I think Joe Sakic was just frankly flat-footed. Um, and because, and it's not like this was out of nowhere. I mean, Colorado's goaltending situation has been the question mark that a lot of people have been harping on for a while now because, you know, Grubauer has an injury history and he's, Frankly, he was played too much last year, and you know he was bound for some regression to fade down the stretch. And there was really no backup plan. Uh, and it seems that they had absolutely no backup plan when he decided to get the hell out of there um, because they couldn't come to a contract. And so they 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 had no plan B. They didn't have any other uh, hands and other cookie jars. Um, and so what happens is, yeah, you're left with basically no other goalies on the market. Your your Peter Mrazics are gone. Uh, I mean, they could have made a run. Like, that's the thing. This is a contending team. You need a goalie now. Um, and, yeah, to do a first and Timmons is just way too much. It's too much for Darcy Kemper, who, all right. So that's the thing. I'll, yeah, so I'll talk about the trade. And um, it's too much, right? You got He's a 31-year-old goalie, $3.5 million, which is not a bargain by any means. Uh, and he only has one season left. And then, you know, you got to give him a new contract if that's what you want. Or else you got to do this. You got to do this. Song and dance for another year. On top of that, yes. your goaltend, your backup goaltending. Um, that's that's what I want to talk about. I mean, this doesn't really solve your goaltending issue either. I'm like, I have absolutely no confidence in this goaltending tandem moving forward. Um, I I know Darcy Kemper's a good goalie, but he keeps getting injured. That's the story of his entire career. Um, and so I don't trust him to play. I don't know, 55 games, even 50. I fully expect him to get injured at some point in the year. And who do you have behind him? You don't have a solid tandem. I think Pavel Francouz. Oh, he was just injured for. He was just he was just uh, injured for most of the season last year, and like the whole he's a year. fine backup, right? Oh, really? The whole year, 
Okay, well, there we go. Um, yeah, so we don't know how good he is. He's 31 years old. And so, like, what the hell are we doing here? We have no confidence whatsoever in the goaltending situation. There were plenty of other options that you could have gone and gotten, and you would be feeling much more comfortable about. And instead, I mean, like, even just giving up Connor Timmons sucks. Because, well, I mean, who are you replacing with him on the, in the lineup? Fucking Curtis McDermott. You give up a fourth-round pick for him um, to fill in, like, your third right-hand defenseman spot. And Curtis the, uh, McDermott fucking sucks. He's just all he does is fight. Uh, Mr. Goonie Boy. And, uh, I mean, Colorado doesn't need any of that. Uh, so, just all around. And they give up the first-round pick, obviously. It's just uh, a big loss. And I don't think it really solves the, the situation long-term or even short-term for a team that really needs to win now. Yeah. Uh, you know, it really does kind of put into perspective how uh, maybe not to set, not to make Joe Sackick sound like Jim Benning, but like, did they just run out of time to sign Philip Grubauer because they were spending so much of their energy on uh, on Gabriel Landeskog and getting him to stick around? And if that is the case, I think they uh, gravely miscalculated the importance of uh, Landeskog to their team versus Grubauer because Landeskog he's a great top line player, he's their captain. But in terms of on-ice results, he's replaceable. He's not the the player that drives anything on their team compared to Rantanen, McKinnon, and Kel McCarr. Landis Gog is like number four at best. Meanwhile, uh, every team needs a good goalie. So if they had maybe directed more of that energy to negotiating with Phil Grubauer, showing him, that, hey, we really want you to stick around here. And he was very open to the idea as well. Maybe they could have gotten, you know, him down to five years, down to five and a half, something like that. And if you end up losing Landeskog, uh, you'll get over it. You'll be fine. And you won't have to pay Connor Timmons in a first for his replacement. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, the Landeskog deal, speaking of that, isn't isn't bad at all. I mean, $7 million is a... Uh, is an acceptable cap hit for like it's a it's a pretty it's a fairly team friendly cap hit I would say I mean eight years is very long um but I mean sure not bad seems like he took a bit of a team friendly discount but if it comes to the cost of losing your goaltending um that's I mean this team needs to win with McKinnon uh making six point three million dollars for the next two years and I don't see how you know one year of Darcy Kemper really does that for you and you know I want this team to win this team is built it's it's built absolutely like head to toe aside from the goaltending with a bunch of studs i mean that defense is ridiculous you got you got a superstar first line with depth all around and you want teams like that that are built around this kind of skill you want them to be rewarded right um and so i don't i, I look at this and i i feel kind of feel bad and it, it sucks because you know a team like this you can't really you can't really help but uh cheer for them a bit and then you, you pull this kind of bullshit and it's like well you might have just shot yourself in the foot in a year where you're potentially the, the the favorite to win the cup. Yeah. I want to talk a bit about uh, the team that traded Kemper, the Coyotes, because uh, not only did they win this deal in a big way, uh, they are very clearly trying to do again what they did seven years ago, which is to tank for Connor McDavid slash Jack Eichel. Uh, worked out so well for them the first time where they set themselves <laughs> back, you know, five years and only got Dylan Strom, who they then traded along with, the previous year's first-round pick, Brendan Fellini, for uh, Nick, Nick Schmaltz. Anyway, uh, as we know, they have been, for the past several years, making the decision to weaponize their cap space, take on bad deals, uh, and get futures along with it, uh, which is a good idea. But when you're doing it still five years later, you're thinking maybe it didn't work out so well the first time you tried. But now, it feels like they're even more committed to the bit than they ever have been. Uh, obviously, you know, taking on a year of Beagle, Erickson, Roussel, uh, Andrew Ladd, 
Anton Strawman, Shane Gostisbehere. They got assets to take on all those contracts. Uh, not only that, after trading Darcy Kemper, do you know who their two goalies are as it stands heading into next season? Their tandem. I know they. Uh, <laughs> I know they saw they newly newly contracted uh, Carter Hutton to be their starter. Yes. Um, I have no idea who their backup is though. Uh, as it stands, it's probably the guy they acquired in the Aiden Hill trade from San Jose, Joseph Coronash. So you got a Carter Hutton, Joseph Coronash tandem. They are both oh going to be making league minimum. So that is a combined one and a half million dollar goalie tandem. Um, and pending UFAs for the Coyotes, or going into the last year of their contracts for Arizona, where there'll be a UFA at the end. Phil Kessel, uh, you'll probably get something nice from at the deadline. Louis Erickson, probably not. Dimitri Askin, Antoine Roussel, J. Beagle, Johan Larson, Ryan Dezingle, who they just signed, Liam O'Brien, who they just signed, Anton Strawman, Ilya Lubushkin, uh, and Carter Hutton. And they already have seven picks in the first two rounds in next year's draft. So it looks like they are very committed to rebuilding, uh, you know, which is the right thing to do for the Coyotes. Uh, but obviously the hard part is uh, hitting on those draft picks and not just tearing everything down and getting the draft picks in order to take on big money players. Yeah, so the, the factory sadness continues. Obviously, this is the right decision. You're not about to go all in or some shit. This team sucks. This roster stinks. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, it seems like it's, it's, it's a perennial cycle of being bad and selling off. I mean, you look at this roster um, and I mean, you listed it off, but also just like, Contract commitment-wise, they have zero goalies and six skaters committed for next year that are signed. Uh, most of the, the other guys are UFAs. You got, I don't know, three RFAs total. Everybody else is <laughs> out of a contract after this year. So they're getting primed for an absolute fire sale at the deadline. Um, you know, you, you retain 50% on everybody. Everybody's everybody's half off on cap hit. And you see, like, really, can you... Is it possible for a team to own half of the second round in one draft? We'll see. We'll see this offseason. Uh, or no, we'll see this trade deadline. Uh, so, you know, tr- like it's 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 a work of art at this point. I mean, I don't know if we've seen... I mean, obviously, the Buffalo uh, 2015 roster was quite barren. Um, but I don't know if we've seen anything as bare bones, as, as uncommitted contractually these Arizona Coyotes are. Because you look at that Cap Friendly page and it's like, oh my goodness. Um, everybody's contract is up next year. And I mean, it's not like the and like half the guys who are under contract are like fucking cap dumps that they got second round picks for. Wait, is it still like a three contract limit that you can retain salary on? Like you can only retain salary on three players at a time. I think that was a thing is at one point. I don't know if it still is uh, uh, because they've got OEL. They're retaining a little bit of salary on till the end of his contract and Darcy Kemper for one year, so they might only have one more in the tank. Uh, but anyway. Uh, your point still stands. Clayton Keller signed till 2028 at over $7 million. That might come back to bite them. Anyway, uh, where should we move on to next? Do you have any team or player that's kind of tickling your fancy? Uh, well, we can go to the uh, the gift that keeps on giving. Um, Jim Benning over in Vancouver. Okay. Truly building more specific a... than that. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's... Yeah, I don't even know where he pulls these tricks out of his hat. Um, so I'm it, so wait, did you you understand? I'm going to Vancouver, right? Um, yes. So uh, yes. Okay. All right. Um, let's start. So you, you sent me a text. Uh, a fun stat. I think it was seven of their, or was it seven? Was the number seven of their roster defensemen? Oh. They just 
What's that? Uh, no, it's out of date now, I think. Uh, it's changed a bit. But, like, okay, so this stat, it didn't count Quinn Hughes or Ole Ulevi because uh, they're both not signed yet for next season. But at the time I sent it to you, I think it was seven out of 12 defensemen under contract for Vancouver were signed today. And it was, you know, a free agency day, July 28th. They signed Travis Hamanick, Tucker Pullman, Luke Shen, Brad Hunt, um, Brady Keeper, Devontae Stevens, and Kyle Burrows uh, all on that same day. And that accounts for like about half the organizational defensemen uh, for Vancouver. <laughs> Which isn't bad in and of itself. The bad part is that none of those defensemen are any good. And uh, the worst part, I guess, is that the defensemen that are signed to play in the NHL, Hamannick and Tucker Pullman, are not very good. Uh, so the right side of their defense heading into next year, uh, Travis Hamannick, Tyler Myers, Tucker Pullman. Um, man, does that inspire no confidence at all. First of all, it is uh, costs almost as much as Austin Matthews against the cap. It's $11.5 million, the three of them combined. And all of them on Jay Fresh's player cards were below like the 15th percentile in wins above replacement. <laughs> uh, so this is a rotten defense in Vancouver. And on the other <laughs> side, of course, you have Hughes, OEL, and probably either Jack Rathbone or Ole Levy, or maybe like Brad Hunt, who they just signed also. Uh, so they have options over there. But yeah, so Ooh. Tyler Myers, we all know he's not very good. Travis Hamanek, we know he's like a bottom-pairing defenseman. Tucker Pullman, we've talked a lot about, first of all, he was your go-to in Winnipeg of there's no way this guy is real. So we can start there. <laughs> but also, uh, we know how bad the Jets' defense has been for the past you know, two years or so, ever since they lost you know, Bufflin and Truba both in the same offseason. Um, but Tucker Pullman, apparently, amongst Jets fans, is... Uh, was like the big scapegoat, I guess. Uh, I guess scapegoat makes it sound like he's getting blamed unrightfully, but he was their least favorite. He was, you know, the rottenest of all the rotten apples. Uh, and, and Vancouver, Jim Benning, could not help himself. He said, that's my music. Four years, two and a half million dollars per year for uh, Tucker Pullman when Yanni Kanpa, who was better, uh, got one and a half. And uh, literally, you know, Several other defensemen who you signed for less are better, probably, including Brad Hunt and uh, Luke Shen, probably too. Oh my God! I mean, this is this is peak Jim Benning. I mean, he takes the guy who I who I, I am a perennial meme, who I make a perennial meme of on this podcast, Tucker Pullman. Um, that is a creative player. That is something you know you wouldn't even think of naming some a creative player on NHL uh, twenty one or whatever. Um, and you give him four years. Four years at two and a half million dollars. That's like, you know, signing the guy to a one-year contract, you know, whatever. He played in the NHL last year. That's one thing. You know, you give him uh, less than a million dollars. Sure. But to sign this guy for two and a half million dollars is truly boggling. Mind-boggling. I, I can't believe it. And it's so, so funny. And, I mean, the, the way that he just he just kind of – he just makes that defense. He just rounds it out. It's just a, truly a, a picture of – not even mediocrity, worse than mediocrity, of trash. Um, and yeah, that defense is going to completely sink them. And Quinn Hughes is going to be on a complete island in terms of that defense because they'll have nobody to play with. They'll have, And whenever he's off the ice, they'll suck shit because, oh my goodness, um, OEL Travis Hamannick might be a pairing we see on the ice next year for extended periods of time because who else are you going to give that ice time to? You can't play Quinn Hughes for 60 minutes a night. Um, and so what? At best, you give him 28, 30. Well, now you're really overworking the guy. And you still got to divide the minutes among the other dudes. Oh, my goodness. 
what an absolute nightmare. Uh, and Tucker Pullman's going to be receiving significant minutes because that's what you do when you get two and a half million dollars. Oh my God, he signed till 2025. Tucker Pullman's going to be in NHL, hopefully, if he doesn't get bought out until 2025. And that is the funniest thing I think that comes out of this this whole this whole day of July 28th. Um, it's that this guy actually got that amount of money, and I can't believe that the Jets rejects got like it's not even he's not even the only one like the Bruins signed Derek Forward for three years three yeah. million dollars I don't even understand what are people watching what are these general managers looking at that defense sucks and they're they're signing the rejects for the ridiculous amounts of term and money I don't understand I don't understand what he sees in Tucker Pullman not to mention Vancouver uh, also has to sign Quinn Hughes before he uh, even can officially be a part of their defense. So maybe he does, you know, sit out a little bit if this contract, if there's a contract dispute, and we end up with a defense, three defense pairings oh, of sure OEL so. Hominick, uh, Ewell Levy Myers, and Jack Rathbone next to uh, oh. Tucker Pullman. Uh, speaking, uh, you know how sometimes I come up with like a terrible joke. I have another one. Uh, and okay. it's not even it's not even like so unfunny that it's funny. It's just downright bad. Uh, Tucker right. Poolman, hardly knower Poolman. I think that was pretty brilliant. Anyway, moving on to <laughs> where do you want to go? What the fuck did I just <laughs> listen to? <laughs> 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 All right, so, uh, let's let's slide on over to when I, when you first said the gift that keeps on giving. I thought you were talking about this team. The Edmonton Oilers, Ken Holland, no. because they had, um, I think, the worst offseason of, uh, or maybe not the worst, uh, because, you know, we still had, you know, Mayu and D'Angelo stuff. But the Oilers did not do very well for themselves. Let's just say that. Uh, this was a, a de- uh, not a deadline. An offseason so far that's been reminiscent of Peter Shirelli, I have to say. The Oilers, the right side of their defense, looked to be trending in the right direction. You know, Ethan Bear. Adam Larson's all right. Evan Bouchard waiting in the wings. Instead, you lose Larson to the Seattle Kraken. All right, there's not much you can do about that. But then, in order to make room to A, hold on to Tyson Berry, who is maybe the worst defensive defenseman in the NHL, and B, sign Cody Cece, who had <laughs> one good year, one good year on Pittsburgh's <laughs> bottom pairing, uh, one good year on Pittsburgh's bottom pairing to sign him for four years at $3.25 million, which means either A, you're going to have a very expensive bottom pairing defenseman for four years, or B, you're going to play him in the top four, which means he'll suck again. Um, And to do that, they traded away Ethan Bear, better than all of them, easily. Maybe not Bouchard if he, you know, uh, breaks out. But he traded Ethan Bear for, like, bottom six forward Warren Fogle. Uh, That trade was... You know what? What's that? That gif of that guy who like blinks his eyes fast, like he's like surprised at what he's seeing. That's what that trade was, and they, they took. They now have basically the right side of the 2020 Toronto Maple Leafs defense. Tyson Berry and Cody. What about that? Made you think? Yeah, you know what? The Oilers need. We need that. We need that. We need uh, the defense that lost the Columbus Blue Jackets in the play-in round in the bubble, which by the way started like a year ago tomorrow. Fun fact, and of course. To top it all off, not only are they going uh, into next season with the exact same goaltending tandem they had this year, uh, they are they also signed Zach Hyman for seven years. Uh, Zach Hyman is not only 20 years old, uh, he is exactly the type of player that is likely to have a very sharp decline within the next two or three years. 
And this contract is almost definitely going to age extremely poorly. Uh, so Ken Holland is just L's all across the board. I would argue that his offseason has been worse than uh, than Jim Benning's because the Oilers, it always feels like they could. They're so close to starting to head in the right direction. If the GMs, whoever it is at the time, whether it's Holland or Peter Shirelli, could stop getting in their own way. Yeah. Um, wow. Truly, what even? Like, Cody Cece. Like, this is a joke, right? They're like, somebody pinch me. Um, what, they gave him how many years? Four? Uh, four. Four. Jesus Christ. $3.25 million. Who in the right mind gives four years and that much money? Three plus. Who thinks Cody Cece is worth more than $3 million? He was good oh. for Pittsburgh on the bottom pair. <laughs> and he was a first-round <laughs> draft pick. How many years ago was that? How many general managers? It was, two, was, it was that? only 2012. Oh, that's true. Um, he's only yeah, nine years ago. Yeah, we got it. We we got to invest in that pedigree. Um, apparently that's the message. Um, I just I truly don't get it. I don't get it. Like Cody CC. I mean, like all the comparisons you compare it with the other contracts that were signed. Um, he's getting paid more than Mike Riley. Um, he's like getting a paid more than a third of of what Kale, Kale McCarr is getting paid. Um, all oh, these comparisons and just not even like you just all these comparisons. Um, and I, it's what the hell, what the hell? He sucks. He's barely an NHL player. He was fine on the third pairing and you're paying him for four years. What the hell? And not to mention, obviously Tyson Berry, who was, uh, you know, did a solid job on the power play, but didn't do much else. And was a black hole defensively, as you mentioned. I uh, giving him a bunch of years, three years, at four and a half million dollars to begin your first pair. Um, and so yeah, that's that's awful. The defense sucks, and I can't wait for the Keith CC put pairing coming up to a TV near you um, next season. <laughs> um, TV near you. I like that one. Did you come up with that on the spot? I did. Um, um, it's very uh, nice. It's, I'm um, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, as for the Hyman contract, like you know, initially, you know, he's obviously the the kind of kind of player that you uh, warn against. Uh, a, it's the kind of player that you should be, you know, developing um, and, and then getting inserting into your roster for cheap. Uh, and you add in his injury history. He had a serious knee injury this last year. He's 29 years old. You pay him too much money for way too long. And then, and then I realized you could probably LTIR LTIR this guy by year four. Right? Right? You could do it if you wanted to. Maybe. I mean, I think so. Um, and so, yeah, the contract still sucks. But at least, you know, Connor McDavid's playing with a guy who, you know, isn't a nobody. I mean, yeah. Is it a bad signing? Absolutely. I would not make the signing. I wouldn't give Zach Hyman more than... I wouldn't give him $5.5 million. I wouldn't give him $4 million. And I certainly wouldn't give him... What? They gave him seven, right? Yeah, they gave him the full seven. Um, so... Yeah, but I think the back end, you could, like, because this guy has an injury history, you could realistically say, oh, his knee flared up. We don't want to deal with it. But the problem is, the real problem is, they probably still want to play him, even in five years down the road. They'll be like, oh, he's he's gritty. We want him in our lineup for five and a half. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that in itself, that logic doesn't exactly work out when you have dumbasses in the front office on the bench. But theoretically, you could make that work if you ever smartened up in Edmonton. But, uh... Yeah, poor contract, poor poor work all around, and uh, yeah, I mean, we I think they they signed a Smith contract last week, right? And we still we laughed about it then, um, and it's still funny, it's still funny, uh, and um, yeah, rolling rolling with that tandem, with uh, Koskinen at four and a half million dollars, truly truly, one way to waste 
two of like the top five players, two of the top ten players in the league, um, including the very best in the world. Um, this is this is how you do it. Oh my god, the team around them still sucks so so freaking hard. Yeah, you mentioned uh, at least McDavid gets to play with someone like Hyman. Uh, I promise the uh, McDavid Archibald Cassian line will be reunited like a couple weeks into the season, probably. Uh, fear not. So that's definitely gonna you know be back. What else? Uh, hey. Let's talk about. Let's jump over. Well, we talked about Vegas before, and I mentioned Ryan Reeves on how he was traded to the New York Rangers for a third round pick, and then signed to a one year extension before playing a game for the Rangers. Uh, this is. The latest installment in James Dolan is taking over the New York Rangers. It's always a great idea for an owner to get involved with his hockey team, uh, especially when he has a driving mentality of, oh, we need not as many skill players and more will players. So we're going to sign Barkley Gaudreau and uh, trade for Ryan Reeves. What else did they do? I feel like that wasn't their only oddball move in that sort of vein. Uh, because basically what's happened is uh, the Tom Wilson incident has broken the New York Rangers. Uh, they, they signed Dryden. They traded for Sammy Blay. That was the other big one. Sammy Blay, yeah. for Sammy Blay. Yeah. And now Jamie was like, oh, we can't let this happen to us again. We need to be able to punch Tom Wilson back or whatever. Or we need to intimidation him out of, you know, wanting to hurt us. Uh, totally ignoring the fact that Tom Wilson has done things like this with Ryan Reeves on the ice at the exact same time. Uh, so this whole myth of like, oh, you gotta, the only way to stop bad, tough guy is a good, tough guy who's on your time is, uh, who's on your side, not on your time is, uh, it's a total myth. Uh, it just adds an extra tough guy. That's, that's literally it, which means more punches and, uh, more fights probably. So Tom Wilson is, uh, he's probably just chilling at home, not caring at all that the Rangers just acquired a fourth liner, uh, Ryan Reeves and Tom Wilson, since he's always playing, you know, with uh, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Backstrom, some combination of the Caps' top players. If you, if that line is on the ice against Ryan Reeves and his fourth line, uh, as as I'm Tom Wilson as Washington, I'm laughing. All right, I don't care. I'm like, this is a massive win for me. So James Dolan has basically the Rangers' rebuild was going so well, and just by getting involved, he's totally skewered it. So uh, good job, New York. I think the term that everybody loves to use um, that perfectly encapsulate the situation with uh, the Rangers and Tom Wilson is uh, rent free. Uh, because, yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> that's Tenority too. They sent Jared Tenority, <laughs> six foot six man to a two year deal, $900,000 a year. God, truly. Oh man. It just is. Wow. It's really the will players over the skill players. That's the way to go. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, example, completely just for example, Jared Tenority, this- a player who will take substance enhancing. Oh, uh, so- performance enhancing substances i kind of butchered that joke but i think it was really it could have been so, let me try again will players for example jared sonority who will take performance enhancing substances nailed it nailed the landing um <laughs> and so yeah this this is just you're just running the team into the ground um ryan reeves ah who stinks whose cap hits things being paid 1.75 million dollars and then they turn around and sign this guy to an extension for the same cap it for a year um it's just oh god what what are we doing here um he brings nothing he brings nothing to the ice he sucks all he does is 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 run over people and he doesn't do anything hockey wise for you at all he doesn't bring any value he stinks he stinks he should be he shouldn't be in the nhl um and uh yeah to, to go out and get him obviously that that good contract is just too long at six years um yeah they just really compl- and then to to lose your first line winger to get a 
to get a bottom six guy like Sammy Blay. I mean, it's uh, wow, just uh, just wow, um, just a series of unfortunate moves. Um, but unfortunate would be kind to them because that implies they that luck played a played a role, but they, they really <laughs> shot themselves in the foot. So uh, yeah, the Rangers really screwed it up, and in a tough Metro, well, relatively tough. I don't think uh, well, not rel- maybe not tough, but uh, even I would say in an even competitive Metro, um, they uh, they can't afford to do this, and this really puts them a step back. Yep. Uh, let's stay in the Metro. And talk about one of the big winners of Free Agent Frenzy, which is the team that got the best player available, Dougie Hamilton signs with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, look at the Devils finally becoming relevant after all this time. Uh, $9 million AAV, which is absolutely reasonable, uh, which is not something that is normally said about contracts that are this expensive. Uh, especially, you know, contracts that are seven years long in UFA. But this is an actual Norris caliber, caliber defenseman. Uh, not like Seth Jones or Tyler Myers, uh, who, by the way, is costing two-thirds of Dougie Hamilton. But Dougie Hamilton, is uh, he's a game-breaker for the Devils. He pretty much instantly becomes the most important player. And the cornerstone of that defense, alongside, you know, they have a pretty good defense, uh, some good young defensemen coming up around him, like especially Damon Severson, who's actually like only a couple years younger than Hamilton, and uh, 21-year-old Ty Smith. So they have some, uh, some nice pieces on that New Jersey defense, and Dougie Hamilton is uh, going to most likely aged quite well considering his style of play. He's 28 years old, but by the time the devils are, you know, into their, when they hope to become competitive, he'll probably be like, you know, about 30, 31 and probably still very much worth that deal. So way to go, New Jersey. Now, every single other NHL team, NHL fan base should be kicking their general manager um, for not signing this guy and having their cap space completely run over by players that suck that you sign on these kind of days who aren't good um and we just listed a whole bunch of them you know they all come to bite you in the ass eventually and this is this is just another example because you're talking about uh, a clear-cut franchise number one defenseman in dougie hamilton who you can get uh when it comes to asset wise for free um if you give him a fair value contract which is what the devils did um, you know, for a guy of his caliber, seven years, he's not, he's not, he's, he's on the right side of 30, he's still 28, $9 million is perfectly reasonable. And you look at some other guys who are paying, who are paid around that area. Um, Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski with his newly minted oh, contract and, <laughs> and other guys like that. And you're like, well, what the fuck? Why? It's not even close. Dougie Hamilton is head and shoulders. Better than those guys. Uh, and so in that sense, if you look at the def- defense market, you know, even Drew Doughty paid around that kind of, uh, paid even more than that. Um, $9 million is, is extremely reasonable. And he's going to be absolutely worth it for the next few years. For the next, uh, well, I think for most of the deal. And then in the back half, you know, it's like, well, he's, I'm sure he'll still be plenty good. Maybe not worth the $9 million, but that's what you expect, right? You'll get more than fair value over the course of the first five years because he's worth more than $9 million because he's that good, Dougie Hamilton. And absolutely, so yeah, to, to, to go back on my point, um, all of these teams, every single one of them should have been lining up to being pay, paying this guy seven years, $9 million. Um, and, you know, even if New Jersey isn't exactly the contender right now, locking a guy up for this long who's this good um, only serves to help your rebuild because uh, he's an absolute stud. This contract, I don't think, will age poorly. Um, because, uh, 
he's that dependable and he's that he's just he's just he's just an excellent number one franchise defenseman. What's the rationale behind giving Zach Wierenski a little bit more than Seth Jones besides just being like, hey, look, everyone, we got the guy who's a little bit better than Seth Jones. We, we kept the better one. Like that has to be the only reason why, which is obviously a, a you know terrible reasoning, especially if you're just trying to, trying to convince your fans like, oh, yeah, we kept the one that's better than Seth Jones because we paid him more. Why don't you just pay him less? And then also, if he's better, he'll just be better. I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, maybe that it's, it's a way of signaling at that point. It's not like Columbus has anybody else worth paying. Obviously that doesn't justify the shitty contract, but, uh, I mean, wow. Uh, nine and a half million dollars for Zach Orensky is a uh, work of art. I mean, it's like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, just go and get the guy in free agent, like go and pay nine and a half million dollars to Dougie Hamilton. Um, I, it's like, are, are these people like, what are they doing? I, it's, I struggle to see any sort of reasoning coming from these people because, uh, it makes no sense. It makes no fucking sense. And to pay this guy nine and a half million dollars, there's no value there. There's no positive value there. Zakaretsky's, uh, overrated, especially by this contract. And, uh, I don't understand. Yeah. I'm just as confused as you are. I got to say. Let's talk. Speaking of uh, Dougie Hamilton, which I guess we weren't at that moment, but we were just a minute ago. Speaking of Dougie Hamilton, let's talk about the team that uh, offered him six point two million dollars uh, average annual value and said, "This is our final offer. Take it or leave it." And he said, "Obviously, I'm going to leave that." Uh, but the Carolina Hurricanes, um, instead of paying Dougie Hamilton or offering him anything close to what he's worth, said, "We can hope to replace your on ice value." for about $8 million less by signing <laughs> Tony D'Angelo. Uh, and in one transaction, the Carolina Hurricanes, who were among the most, if not the most likable team in the NHL by people from every fan base, totally killed all that goodwill uh, by employing the biggest douchebag known to the National Hockey League, Anthony D'Angelo. We were hoping when, you know, he was in the news a lot early in the season with the, you know, Georgiev and when the Rangers asked him to, you know, just go home. We don't want you around our team anymore. And we said, I hope we never have to bring him up again. Fortunately, the hockey men couldn't help themselves. Uh, oh, oh, he's changed. Oh, yeah, we talked to people uh, and uh, they said good things about him. And uh, he shows remorse or whatever. And, oh, he, he doesn't uh, support the insurrections from January 6th. Isn't that so great? Uh, and no... <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, obviously, this is a, a massive disappointment. And honestly, Carolina, maybe saved like the Maple Leafs, is the last team I would have expected something like this from. Because Carolina was one of the few teams, I don't even remember the other ones, who took the Get Uncomfortable pledge from Black Girl Hockey Club a couple months ago. And, uh, yeah, they've totally flushed it out, the, flushed it down the toilet with uh, this D'Angelo signing. Yeah, truly. All, all, all sorts of goodwill. All sorts, even just from, not just from uh, neutral third-party observers, but even within their own fan base, you see this kind of move uh, and you're disgusted, right? And you don't want to cheer for them anymore. And I don't see, uh, I, I don't think this will affect, well, even on their financial bottom line, since that's what, that's really what they, all they care about. I don't think this is a smart move there. Um, but uh, obviously, you just, you just, you're telling on yourself um, when you say that, okay, here we go, another morally bankrupt, it's, that's the term we like to use. Um, team here, uh, going and getting this guy. Um, I, and to think that I was uh, because I was, you know, thinking like, okay, maybe I, I switch teams uh, after you know the, the whole Hab situation. 
um, and maybe I'll uh, pledge my allegiance to the Hurricanes. And then, you know, they you told me, like, you know, wait a second. Um, a, that's that's way too obvious. That's the, the obvious pick to bandwagon on. Um, and so maybe we should hold off. And lo and behold, a week later, we have this nonsense coming out. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's truly, like, these fucking hockey men are so delusional. So, so, so delusional. I don't understand. Uh, I mean, uh, what's uh, what's the what the hell is the the general man Don Waddell? Um, in his press conference talking about, oh yeah, he's uh, he's a good teammate. Yeah, right. The guy that the Rangers, they you know they 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 completely shunned him. So I think it was Gurgiev. Like, well, they they he punched him in the face, and then the teammates rallied around Gurgiev. Um, yeah, great teammate. Sure, sounds like it. <laughs> um, sounds like he was a popular Ranger. I'll tell you that. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know what the hell you're, what the hell, what are you saying, Don Waddell? He's a great teammate. That's nonsense. <laughs> yeah, he was literally gotten to fight with, the, with his, with his teammate and everybody shunned him, um, because he's an absolute scumbag and I assume he's an asshole and his teammates can, can, uh, pick up on that. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and to go out and get this guy, I mean, like, wow, uh, he's an absolute scumbag, a racist and, uh, just an all around jerk. Um, and not in the, not in the fun cutesy way they like to use that word. Um, but a, a certified asshole. And so, uh, yeah, Anthony D'Angelo, just yet another, uh, signing that, you know, it's the league telling on itself. It's just, you know, if it wasn't Carolina, it was going to be another team, but the fact that Carolina went out and, uh, got this guy is, uh, extremely disappointing, uh, but not altogether surprising at all. Yeah. And compounded with the fact that it was the same day that they traded for Ethan Bear. Um, who of course was recently the victim of the racist attack online, and oh man, though I don't even remember whichever reporters were asking Ethan Bear about like, oh, do you have any reservations about about you know playing with noted racist Anthony D'Angelo? Uh, please don't ask that question, and it should I shouldn't have to tell you that, and I know you're not listening to me tell you that, but like, man, how how what what's he gonna say? And basically, he said the only thing he could say in that situation without getting criticized from every angle, which is like, oh yeah, we uh. We talked and uh, I'm ready to get started or whatever. And people reacting to this, A, you have the people who are like, way to go, Ethan. That's a way to be a team player. You can get fucked, all right? Because what, is, what else is... And also, the other side, which is like, Ethan Bear, why wouldn't you criticize him more? Like, you can use your brain too, all right? Basically, the, so the blame here lands not with Ethan Bear at all. It lands with uh, the reporters who are asking those dumb questions and also, of course, with Tony D'Angelo and also with the Hurricanes because I still have a very strong inkling that they specifically targeted Ethan Bear because they knew they were going to get so much backlash from the D'Angelo signing that they wanted to be, you know, the five-year-old logic of how this type of complicated thing works and be like, how could we be a racist team when we just acquired a non-white player? And basically, of course, tokenizing Ethan Bear in terms of being like, uh, you know, uh, you know, social justice points or whatever. Like, look, we have Ethan Bear on our team. Isn't that so forward-thinking of us? Yeah, and this is, and as I mentioned last week, this is not the. Uh, it seems the NHL really does like this uh, kind of tokenizing kind of thing, thing we talked about last week. You know, the Blackhawks making their pick, Stan Bowman surrounded by eight fucking women, like uh, what, <laughs> and saying, "Yeah, we support women" or some shit like that. Um, you know, uh, it's uh, it's all truly five year old logic here, um, and it's a, it's a widespread thing. It's not just localized to one team. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you, they think that they're probably think that, ah, yeah, you know, it evens out. We get the racist, but we get, we get the, the minority. It's, it's all, it's all good now. Uh, but obviously what's that? We're back where we started one racist yeah, exactly. plus one, you know, non-white person. And we're back at zero. <laughs> um, well, what obviously that all it does is, uh, 
put Ethan Bear in a very uncomfortable situation. Um, so yeah, it's uh, they they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's clear this is just this is what the NHL is about. Uh, and uh, I mean, we see this all over the place. And yep, this whole D'Angelo signing it was going to happen, as I said just now. Uh, some team was going to take the the bait, um, the racist bait. Uh, and uh, it's a shame that Carolina did it. Um, and it's really a shame that, you know, Ethan Bear gets put in this situation. Yeah, and that's not the only way Carolina fucked up. Um, have yep. you looked at their goalies lately? After <laughs> trading Nadeljkovic, because they didn't want to give him a three and a half. They signed Frederick Anderson, 31 years old, two years, four and a half million dollars a year. That, for those of you counting at home, that's one million more than the AV they didn't want to give Pending, uh, not pending, uh, reigning Calder Trophy finalist, Alistair Delchkovic. Frederick Anderson, by the way, has been on a steady decline for a while, has dealt with a fair share of injuries, and is looking like uh, the type of goalie who is pretty much just, you know, fallen off and unlikely to rebound to form. And the other guy they've signed to tandem with him is Andy Ranta, who for like the 20% of the time that he's healthy is pretty good. Yeah, so... uh I think, first of all, neither of these guys can stay healthy. And so I think let's like, the, the next question to ask is who the hell is their third goaltender? Um, because, well, that's where you're going to, I guess it's Alex Leon who they just signed. Um, Lion. But, uh, Not Leon. Lion. My bad. My bad. Um, but uh, yeah, Anderson, it looks like he's washed. He wasn't good last year. He was injured most of the season. And even when he was, uh, when he got back, um, he, he got not beat out by Jack Campbell. Um, he didn't look good in his conditioning stints at all. And uh, this is not a guy you give four and a half million dollars to. Um, and and Antti Ranta, obviously, he, like he's he's that's a fine contract for a goalie of his caliber. But as you mentioned, it's the health, right? Um, he, he can't stay healthy. He's never been able to stay healthy. Um, and you, yeah, you look at Nedeljkovic. It would have been cheaper than either of these guys. Uh, what was the contract that uh, Mrazic got? Like, what was the what were the details of Toronto? Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to mention Mrazic because the AAV was like 3.8. And I think it was, uh, like Anderson, it was two years. And I was going to say, like, for any team, don't you prefer Mrazic, who just had great numbers last year, even though he was injured uh, quite a bit as well? So it was three years for Mrazic. But still, you sign Mrazic 3.8 or you sign Anderson 4.5. I know I'd much prefer Peter Mrazic, uh, even if they were making the same. But instead, he's cheaper. And instead, Carolina decided uh, maybe Mrazic didn't want to stick around. I don't think that was the case. Um, but if it, uh, if it was, they just preferred Frederick Anderson and paid him more. Yeah. But he's washed. And I don't understand. Like, yeah, just cause quality of goaltending, it makes sense to keep Mrazic, uh, and, or it makes sense to freaking keep, uh, Nadalkovich. Um, and then they signed, you know, they, an asset that they got in that trade was Jonathan Bernier's rights who went ahead and, uh, didn't sign with them. First of all, I just want to shout out Jonathan Bernier because, uh, he got $4.25 million over like each year for two years. Which is uh, insane for Jonathan Bernier. Um, he's making eight million bucks over two years with the Devils. Uh, so uh, shout out to him. That's an overpayment for the Devils, but I don't think they really care with the captains that they have. Um, but uh, yeah, for the for the Hurricanes, um, the goaltending has always been a question mark since Cam Ward left, right? Um, and this certainly doesn't. And it, it looks like they solved it. They had two studs in Mrazek and Adalkovich, and now they're left with you know a guy who is probably washed. I would say. Um, who's on the wrong side of 30 and another guy on the wrong side of 30 who can't stay healthy. And so Carolina a team that's, you know, we're always saying, okay, when's their breakout year? Um, they're a loaded young team. Um, the goaltending might be, it might be the thing that drags them down, especially come playoff time. Because uh, do you trust playoff Frederick Anderson? Do you trust playoff anti-Ranta? I don't know the last time we saw that. Um, I certainly do not. 
Yeah. Uh, fun fact about the Nadalchkovic trade from the other day, which I learned recently, that third-round pick that the Hurricanes got from Detroit was also the third-round pick that Detroit got from Vegas in the Thomas Tatar trade. So that famous, you know, Thomas Tatar fleecing uh, by the Red Wings, where they got a first, second, and a third-round pick at the 2018 tra- trade deadline. They drafted Joe Valeno with that first, Robert Mastro Simone with the second rounder, and then flipped that third basically straight up since Bernier didn't end up sticking in Carolina for Nadeljkovic. So Alex Nadeljkovic is now part of the Red Wings' return for uh, Thomas Tatar. Wow. Stevie Eisenman is a, an absolute wizard. Uh, was he Was he the Daryl Madger back then when they made that Tatar trade? Uh, um, no, I don't think so. Um, okay. I think it was actually still Holland. All right. Well, good for Ken Holland. Um, his legacy uh, endures because that's the only good thing that he's done last five years um but uh on this eisenman thing yeah it really uh he flipped he, he like he flipped he turned nothing which is the bernier rights into uh you know part of return from Velkovich. and now that we got the goal of the future and carolina is left uh yeah so carolina and colorado two teams where you know goaltending was uh like the thing that they needed to secure this offseason and they both completely flopped Carolina didn't even need to... T- that shouldn't even been on their to-do list should have been signed to Delchkovic. like that shouldn't have been hard it was an rfa yeah yeah Oh, anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, Philip Deno. Why don't we? He signed with the LA Kings, and this one took me by surprise because one thing we had heard a lot about Deno was that he was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to stick around in Montreal because like Suzuki and Kotkaniemi are on track to you know take my ice time away. And apparently, either there wasn't much truth to that to begin with, or that was just speculation, or he has he didn't take a look at the LA Kings depth chart before signing with them because I promise you that far less threatening than uh, sorry far more threatening than Nick Suzuki and Jesper Kotkaniemi are Quentin Byfield, Alex Turcotte, Akil Thomas, Rasmus Kupari, Jared Anderson Dolan, Gabe Velarde. Uh, I could probably keep going if I uh, remembered all the all them who could play center. Uh, I mean he got a nice deal for sure. Six million five and a half uh oh sorry but six years five and a half million AAV uh, and he's probably going to be like the second line center behind Kopitar right away. But once, you know, Byfield and Turcotte are uh, ready for prime time, which is probably coming very soon, I think Dano is going to indeed be uh, a shutdown specialist. And my guess is that he's uh, he's come to peace with that, and he's totally fine with it. And making that amount of money, I'd be fine with it too. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think the Habs offered him a similar contract though, no? If I'm not mistaken. Um, but, uh, eh, he doesn't seem to care. Um, so, uh, he gets, he also gets trade protection, which I don't think the Habs were willing to get. He's got a, a no move for the first three years and then a modified, uh, what a 10 team, no trade list for the last three. Um, so that's good on him. I think that was probably a factor. Uh, and yeah, five and a half million dollars at that point, you know, you're just, I mean, if you're a bottom six forward, you know, a third line center getting paid five and a half million dollars, are you, are you really complaining? Are you really complaining? Like, yeah, sure, you're a competitor. You want to play. I get it. That's what he wanted to do in Montreal, and that's why he felt so threatened by, you know, Suzuki Kakuniemi. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't tell me that, you can't tell me that, uh, like, the, the, the organizational setup with the Kings is uh, less threatening, as you said. Um, no, they got they got studs coming up in the next few years, and he's obviously going to get bumped down. There's uh, no avoiding it at this point. And so he just took the money, and uh, I don't blame him. I don't blame him, and, uh, yeah. I mean, good for him. And I uh, hope he enjoys his time in uh, the sun. 
Yeah, I guess I was more surprised that LA was one of the teams willing to give Dan O that type of contract yeah. because of all the centers they have uh, on the way who are going to need, you know, big raises within the next, you know, before Dan O's contract is done. And at that point, are you looking at trading Philip Dan O? Probably. I mean, this is like a modified no trade, probably, I think. So it definitely could be done. Uh, I'm just kind of surprised that that's the the guy they went for on that long of a term when you definitely have uh, clear replacements to him coming in the pipeline. I can definitely see the rationale, though, where they're like, oh, he can be a, a great mentor to the up-and-coming centers because that's what he kind of was uh, to Suzuki and Kakanyemi in, uh, in Montreal. But, uh, but yeah, the term doesn't really make sense. Um, six years and you've got all these guys coming up who are going to need uh, pricey contracts. He doesn't really fit in the cap situation there. But, uh, I mean... I'm sure he'll have value, and if they retain something, they can they can ship him off for for assets uh, when the time comes if they want to save money. Um, but uh, yeah, the, I, I can see the uh, mentoring. Um, I know I know the uh, hockey man like that, and it's sort of go out and get a guy to kind of fill in the the space until they really the young guys really take over. Um, I mean, it's not completely out of nowhere. I don't personally agree. I don't. I wouldn't sign this contract. I won't sign him to this contract with that center depth for if I was the Kings. But uh, I see the rationale from LA. Yeah, so looking at it uh, more closely now, actually, um, the first three years are a full no-move clause, and then the last three are modified no-trades, and it says 10-team no-trade list, so that probably would not be that hard to move. And that also happens to line up, assuming like Byfield and Turcotte both make their both have their rookie seasons this year, that'll line up exactly when they'll both need their second deals. So uh, it looks like they are thinking ahead at least and i think we've yeah i think like yeah victor arvidson who they just acquired that also lines up exactly like after those three years when byfield and turcott's elcs are done arvidson's contract is up so they definitely are thinking ahead in that way and probably part of the plan is to trade deno well there we go um so looks like the the kings if they do end up trading the guy i mean it looks like they haven't locked himself uh, by cutting the no movement clause exactly where they need to, I assume that's planned. And so, uh, yeah, solid, solid plan there. Um, I guess now you can really talk about the mentoring. Uh, he sticks around for three years, and then you trade him out of there. And uh, the Kings' uh, rebuild continues. Solid veteran, I guess. Um, and you know he'll va- he'll have value at thirty one. There's no doubt about it. Somebody, some team will want. Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, and the team that I know came from the Montreal Canadiens, uh, happened. To be really interested in signing Quebecois players this offseason. Uh, I mean, besides Mike Hoffman, who they signed to, what was that deal? I think it was three years, three and a half million dollars per year. That's four not and a half too bad value. Dollars. Oh, four and a half. Oh, I don't know why I thought it was three and a half. Anyway, uh, he's basically like a power play goal scorer, and there's not much else to his game, definitely not much defense to it. Uh, but that's probably like a Thomas the Tar replacement, I think, what they're imagining. But for some reason, um, they chose this offseason as the one where they're like, yeah, now's the time we need to get more Quebecois players. David Savard for, you know, the Edmondson contract, Cedric Paquette, Matthew Perot, both making like under a million. I think something to do with like, you know, uh, Jonathan Drouin's future still may be a question mark, even though they said like, yeah, he's probably coming back. And with Philip Deneau leaving, it was kind of like, are they going to have no Quebecois players? They said, oh, we can't let that happen. Let's go sign three of them immediately. And also Jean-Sébastien Dea for the minor leagues. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, the the weird, well, I guess not weird, um, but the uh, 
the perennial obsession with Quebecois French-speaking players in the on the Habs continues, uh, and it seems that Bergevin has caved. Um, you know, you look at each of these contracts. I don't love the Hoffman contract. I don't think he really he's he's bad defensively. He doesn't really try drive play a five on five. And uh, I mean, I guess you needed the finishing talent on the power play, um, and to, to kind of pair with Caulfield there. Uh, so you have two shooters um, who can put the puck in the net. But uh, four and a half million dollars for three years for a guy who's thirty-one, coming off of a couple of off season, down seasons. Um, I don't know if I love that investment at all. Um, seems a bit overpaid. Um, but uh, that David Savard contract, I mean, God, four years, three and a half. Um, it's just, he just loves that kind of, um, that brand of defenseman. Uh, can't really move the puck. He's, you know, good to very good defensively, but otherwise doesn't really bring much. And the Habs have uh, too many of those. In fact, their defense is almost entirely made up of those defensemen um, and something that we've talked about for a long time now. And you just add another guy who's going to be overpaid by year two or three. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the, the keeps he just keeps doing exactly the same thing over and over. And uh, it's kind of the definition of insanity. But then again, they did make the cup final. So I guess that's the validation he needed. Um, the other contract that they that they signed uh, the day before free agency, they re-signed Yoel Armia, who they uh, famously protected in the expansion draft. Um, his UFA signing rights to 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 to, to wait to, to too much money. Um, four years, three point four million dollars. I mean, he's a valuable guy, but uh, but only in really a bottom six role. And to pay three point four million dollars for four years uh, is too much because you don't want to pay those kind of guys that much money because that's where that those are the kind of contracts that you look at. And you're like, oh man, I sure we were, sure wish we hadn't signed that when we need to re-sign. I don't know Nick Suzuki or Cole Caulfield to their to their next contracts. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, seems like a, seems like a mistake, even if it isn't a, an egregious overpayment. Um, not one that I would sign if I was the Habs. Armia plus Byron cap hit is uh, greater than Brendan Gallagher's cap hit moving forward. I like I like to put things in perspective like that. Like how many bottom six forwards does it take to get this you know top line forward? And a lot of times it's fewer than it should be uh, because that's just how the NHL tends to operate. I have uh, three more interesting things that I want to mention uh, before we close out. The first one is Linus Allmark. We'd been talking like, oh, watch out for Allmark. He's going to, where's he going to go? He's going to be a great starting goalie. And uh, he ended up in Boston. And I don't think Boston is going to improve so much from this just because they've had great goaltending from mostly Tuka Rask for a long time. Uh, but Allmark, I think, is going to be worth the contract. The most interesting thing about it, though, is that he pretty much left Buffalo in the dust. And they've now scrambled to find their new goaltending tandem. And the best they could come up with is Craig Anderson and Aaron Dell. <laughs> oh my God! Um, yet another team with so this this and the Arizona team. Um, yeah. that is a whole ass AHL team right there, an AHL <laughs> goalie system, if you will, of uh, veterans who are no longer NHLers. Uh, and uh, yikes, yikes! Craig and Anderson, actually, who everybody said was going to retire. Similar to Arizona, both these goalies are making league minimum, so that's a combined tandem of one and a half million dollars. Congratulations! Um, you really went as cheap as you could go, going to the guy who was on the verge of retiring and, it and shows. like the league's and the league's worst goal, like worst backup goaltender <laughs> the last couple of years <laughs> in Aaron Dell. Um, yeah, it's a work of art. Um, you know, from Boston. Yeah, go ahead. So I was just going to say, Craig Anderson must really love hockey and really not feel like retiring. He's 40 years old. He's had a good career, you know. Uh, but he's like, no, I, w- I want to keep playing, man. I got something left in the tank. Which, I mean, he was okay for Washington in the little bit he played this year. But he's like, no, I got to stick it out. 
I can do more in Buffalo as their starting goalie at the age of 40. Man, like with these two teams, like somebody has to play the goaltending games. Like somebody has to start net. Um, so we're going to be seeing some of these guys. Well, I assume that, you know, the, they'll, they'll give to, they'll give some games to complete randos, um, that we've never heard of, but, uh, you know, somebody on each of these teams will be carrying. Dustin Dekarski might actually be like the second best goalie on the Sabres. I think he, I might trust him more than Aaron Dell. Right. Um, and so somebody's going to carry the load, a disproportionate load. And we're going to be like, oh, this guy played 50 games or 40 games. That's looking hilarious. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, for Craig Anderson, (laughs) <laughs> he's not even ch- he's not even cup chasing um he's not even like uh chasing a ring here uh he's going he's to literally to the worst team you could possibly go on in the nhl uh and uh he just wants to play good for him you know 750 grand um by uh any any uh you know your average person is uh quite a bit of money so uh for for to play a year but uh you know hopefully he's his body holds up and uh cool he wants to keep playing hockey can't blame him um and that's that's cool on his part. That's for Boston. Um, yeah, that whole Tuka Rask thing is interesting, eh? Because uh, he's out for uh, we don't really know how long, and he is unsigned. And so, uh, does he go back to Boston? Uh, I don't really know. I don't really see the uh, roster or the cast phase for that. Maybe on maybe like on a one year contract to like finish out the season, and then he tests out free agency next year again. Um, that would make sense. But uh, they've got they've got Swayman there too. I think they traded Vladar, right? Um, I don't remember yeah. who, but they traded him for a third. Uh, so you know, all Mark. All Mark Swayman is not a bad tandem at all. Um, otherwise, yeah, I mentioned earlier, Mike Riley 3x3 three, three three is, a, is a very solid deal, but then you turn around and give the exact contract to Derek fucking Forbort, and uh, <laughs> that's a you kind of blew it there. Forbort. Um, but, you, uh, you still say it like that, Forbort. <laughs> yeah, you gotta. You gotta. Derek Forbort. Um, and uh, I, I don't think seven years that. ago. What's that? I said Forbort and seven years ago. <laughs> Exactly. Um, what, what's the correct pronunciation? Is Forbert? Forbert? Yeah. Warbert. Pretty sure it's Forbert. Okay. All right. Um, but they still went and signed Forbert. Um, and uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Nick Foligno is a bit over. He's very overpaid at $3.8 million. Um, so interesting offseason there. Uh, we'll see, you know, because I've got that line. It's always about like surrounding that top line uh, to really contend. And uh I'm not entirely sure if they did that. I don't know if we talked about the Hall signing. That's a solid deal at 4.4 by 6. Um, but, uh, I mean, they signed a bunch of bottom liners in Howell and Nozick. Um, it'll be interesting. Yeah. They'll be they'll be, they'll be be a contender in the Atlantic. Yeah, with Boston, I feel like if they, instead of Olmark, signed someone like uh, like James Reimer or David Riddick or like Jonathan Bernier to like a one-year contract, then at that point you're leaving the door open to bring back Tuka Rask. But this big commitment to Olmark... Feels a lot like, yeah, Omar Swayman is our tandem now, and this is the end of the Tuka Rask era. I don't know if there's something else like behind doors, but just by the look of this signing, it feels like they've moved on from him. Yeah, that's that's very possible, and uh, I don't know what their cap situation is like. Let me let me pull that up real quick. Uh, they've got $1 million. So um, obviously, if they sign a mid-here, they, they prorate the cap, but even then, I don't think that's enough for, for a guy of a Rask caliber. And so that's a guy who's... Uh, Going to be very interesting in terms of where does he sign? Probably going to be one year. Um, and uh, who's looking for a goalie? Um, and uh, as for Allmark, I, I like Allmark. I talked about it. I talked about it over the course of the season. Um, he's the goalie that I really liked out of this uh, UFA class the most um, because he played very well in Buffalo. So uh, consistently too. So what can he do on a on a good team? 
I don't know, but uh, I think it'll be good things. And he's only 27. He'll be 31 when this deal ends. I love that. So uh, I think that's a and, – and, you know, Swayman seems to be the guy for of the future. And so, uh, you know, that, that kind of lines up with the end of this contract. It's not too long at all. And so I like this move for Boston very much in terms of their goaltending tandem moving forward. You know who should have signed Tuka Rask? Or I guess still could. But instead of trading for Darcy Kemper, Colorado should have signed Tuka Rask. Uh, sign some other like okay goalie because the rest of your team I really think is good enough to get by to get into the playoffs with either Francois or uh, I don't know Halak or Riddick or Laurent Brassois if they're splitting time and then you bring a Raskin when he's healthy you know a couple months into the season and all of a sudden you have an upgrade on goaltending from last year I think so I think that would have been uh, a potentially smart idea for the Avalanche. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, like we as we saw with Tampa, they weren't the one seed. They were, I think, the yeah the three seed in the Central just this last season. And all you need to do is get in the playoffs if you load up. Everybody's healthy. You know, they got back Kucherov, um, and you can really just take everybody on at that point with Colorado. If you can just not even to the end of the regular season, you can just drag yourself to midway until Tuka Rask is healthy. Um, then you then you're really going. You get in the playoffs, and then then you can wreck shop. But instead, now you're relying on Darcy Kemper, which. Uh, Yikes, uh, I am worried for them, as I mentioned earlier. Yep. As, uh, I also want to mention, we were laughing about Andy Strickland's report that Ryan Suter would probably get four years. We weren't laughing at Andy Strickland for reporting it. We were laughing at the teams for uh, you know offering it to him. Uh, and as it turns out, Dallas is the one he chose. Four years, <laughs> what was it, three point something for Ryan Suter. Rounds out their top four. You know, with Haskin and Klingberg and uh, Norris Volgetter, Asa Lindell. It does look very nice on paper, Dallas. And for some reason, they also signed Braden Holtby to be like their third string goalie, unless like Ben Bishop is really injured, which I suppose is possible that they'll go in like the uh, Hudobin Holtby tandem. But like they now have like Bishop, Hudobin, Braden Holtby, and Jake Ottinger all under control for next season, which is a uh, kind of a peculiar situation. How much did they pay Holtby again? Uh, uh, it was like two million, I think, something like that. Okay, well, yeah, Dallas is in a weird spot. Um, underwhelmed last year, obviously, but uh, yeah, I think it really is just Ben Bishop uh, insurance because you don't want to uh, you don't want to you don't want to be really left with Hudobin alone again because he didn't have the greatest season. Um, but uh, it's kind of bad. It, well, it's not kind of. It is bad insurance because Holtby sucks. Um, and you're overpaying him at two million dollars. But I I guess that's the logic. I don't know if I I don't agree. Um, with with getting a guy like Holtby, um, yeah, and you got Ottinger, and hopefully he takes a step forward for them. Um, as for Ryan Suter, uh, I, I don't know, man, really, really, thirty six years old, you're paying this guy three point six million dollars um, for four years, man. I, I like Dallas. Dallas seems like a team where like they had that Cup final run, obviously in the bubble, and it's like that that core is so old. Um, and it's like, well, do I like, like the top line, you know, they got some nice young forwards, but it's like, you know, but a lot of them are just so like their top line saying in Ben Pavelski, you know, you have Radulov in there. Um, and now you add Suter, Klingberg's like, he's approaching 30. Um, and your goalies are old as shit. It's like this team. I don't, I don't like, is this, this seems like a, the cup final run was like a one off. I don't see this team really contending. Um, and to get a guy like Suter, I don't really see how that mixes into the fold. Yeah. Uh, one final note that I've noticed that I thought was pretty funny. 
uh, about two players that seem to follow each other around wherever they go. In 2014, the Anaheim Ducks drafted Nick Ritchie. And the next day, on day two of the draft, they drafted Andre Kasha. In 2020, in uh, February, I think, yeah, let me pull it up. Yeah, February 21st, the Ducks traded Andre Kasha to Boston. And three days later, they traded Nick Ritchie to Boston. And now, in summer 2021, the Maple Leafs signed Andre Kasha one evening. And I think the next morning it was announced that they've also signed Nick Ritchie. So I don't know if they're best friends or whatever. And Nick Ritchie was like, please trade me to Boston with my best friend, Andre Kasha. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, wherever one goes, the other seems to follow like a couple days at most later. <laughs> That's like an unlikely duo that you wouldn't. I don't, I don't know if I've ever yeah. heard of uh, anybody associating the two, but uh, but a cool stat. Um, we haven't talked about the Maple Leafs because uh, they didn't do much, but uh, I really like that Mrazic signing for them. Um, him and Campbell, that's a rock-solid tandem, which, you know, they haven't really had um, back until, like, since they had, like, McElhaney. Um, they've kind of struggled to find two goalies who are capable. It's always been... There's only one guy, usually, really, like, last, one last season. One at a time. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, uh, Campbell and Mrazic, that's a, that's a very good tandem, and I think they can really rely on that all season as i've said multiple times tandems are the way to go in this nhl and the leafs have a really good one and i'm getting uh, i'm kind of getting scared that they might that they might make a strong run finally this season speaking of tandems our podcasting tandem is uh finishing this episode now how was that for a segue to the <laughs> ending was that that the worst all time i think it might have been the worst all time thanks for listening this week's episode of fusion and hockey podcast upon this the last day of july as we record and almost definitely August by the time you're listening to it. You can follow this podcast on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast, and you can follow us on Twitter, and you can tune in next week, probably back to Sunday. I've been saying that for a couple weeks now, but actually this time, probably back to Sunday, August 8th, uh, we're going to record, and uh, probably get back into our rotation of guess who's and drafts and such, and trivias as well, so stick around for that.